life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Jerry Ross, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to do my best to to host this interview and uh, while I chug uh, an entire Blendtec blender with a salad, a tremendous amount of greens, maximum vibrance in there and uh, still still keep things flowing, but I haven't had anything to eat today, so I got I, I, I to gotta get my nutrients in as well. Um, That's not like a good lunch. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's It tastes a little green. Um, and you know, for people watching this on a video, you might, you might see some chunks of lettuce in my teeth, but, um, you know, it's, it's the fuel for today. Before we kind of get into your backstory, you've got a a very interesting picture behind you. It looks sort of like the, the, the stairs, like almost like stone or concrete stairs at the Acropolis. And then there's like a ton of people in suits standing around. Can you tell my, myself and the audience what's going on there? Yeah, it's, uh, I can't remember the name of the artist. He's uh, Eastern European and his, I have several of his paintings. They're all, the general theme is um, state control or big government. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, they're all, you know, very dark, uh, very uh, Orwellian, you know, mm-hmm. big brother looking out over you. Um, and I just, I like his work. I mean, it's it's a reminder to me of you know of uh, where we could land if we die, if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've um, I mean, and our listeners know I've I've been very interested in this, especially the past few years, and I'm I'm currently reading, uh, <clears throat> you know, 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 and 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 all the um, all the classics, but. It's a tricky situation because there's there's so much involved, and I think some of the mind control technology complicates matters where where there's a lot of people that can't see it due to hypnosis and the entrainment technology and a variety of different things. But we'll we'll, we'll go there a little bit later. Um, <laughs> maybe you could give us a little bit of your backstory and kind of and, and kind of how uh, how we got here. So I started out uh, right out of high school. Um, uh, in Texas, in the uh, oil and gas business, um, started out, you know, at the very bottom, not uh, family money, but uh, started out as just a laborer in the field. And um, do you think gas comes from dinosaurs? Gas comes from decaying matter, uh, trees, whatever. Um, you know, it takes time, heat, and pressure to create hydrocarbons from decaying matter. Okay, cool. I was just and curious your thoughts the different, on that. The different amounts of time, heat, and and temperature will dictate whether it's in coal form or whether it's in oil form or whether it's in natural gas form. Cool. So um, I, you know, really liked uh, that business and really kind of got into it uh, and just immersed myself as opposed to going to college. And very quickly, uh, I was able to kind of figure out, you know, how the game was played, not just from the laborer's side, but also, you know, from the uh, the wildcatters, the rig owners, that, that part of it. Mm-hmm. And I self-taught myself or, or, you know, basically listened to what they were saying and figured out some shortcuts to uh, elevate myself in the business. Uh, was able to take advantage of those. And by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was already running a fairly sizable operation. Uh, You know, by the time I was in late 20s, you know, hundreds of times more success than I'd ever dreamed of. Um, Which, you know, um, the oil and gas business, especially back then, can be if you hit the right wells in the beginning and, you know, parlay off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had older wildcatters that I kind of looked up to as my mentors. What's that term mean, uh, wildcatters? You mentioned it a couple times. 
Wildcatters are, there really isn't such a thing today, but in the begin in the old days, it was, um, you know, oil and gas guys that went out and, you know, it's kind of like they're like explorers. They, they went out and said, let's drill here without a whole lot of information and, you know, roll the dice and it either works or it doesn't. But, you know, it's rolling the dice with millions of dollars. Is, is that kind of like Daniel Day-Lewis's character in There Will Be Blood? It is exactly like that. He he was a wildcatter. There we go. That's a great movie. He, I mean, he crushed it in that. So kind of like in that movie, uh, with a good segue there, um, the mentors that I looked up to, the general theme was work hard, play harder. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of alcohol, a lot of other drugs too, uh, sex, you know, all of that, but but a tremendous amount of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And you tremendous. really... <laughs> and, and you were really kind of gauged on your ability to, you know, drink the other guy under the table. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, you know, through whatever reason, had the ability to do that for the longest time. And, and as my success increased, the alcohol consumption uh, increased even at a faster rate. Um, the other drugs that I'd been doing kind of fell off and alcohol was my drug of choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, all of that came to kind of a climax, uh, at a point where, you know, again, had made hundreds of millions of dollars, cars, planes, boats, all kinds of staff and sitting in my house by myself, uh, or sitting in the bedroom by myself with, 300 people in the, in the house at an event, just totally miserable. And mm. they were at a party that you were throwing. Yeah. Yeah. Actually it was a fundraiser for Obama. One of the original, uh, fundraisers that, um, that he did in his first term. But, um, it, uh, you know, it, it's just, I thought about where I was at and everything I had, it's everything I ever thought, you know, that would be what success is called. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, things had started happening by the end. I was, I was consuming enough that, you know, the DUIs and the, you know, doing inappropriate things, you know, at parties and, you know, not remembering this or that or whatever. And, and, um, fortunately I had some people around me that, you know, uh, did, I guess what you call classic intervention. And, uh, I went off to treatment. So went to treatment for 90 day inpatient treatment, which you were receptive to it at that point, (laughs) I could, I was to the, I knew that if I didn't do something and I'd had several friends that had died, you know, through, you know, one shot himself accidentally drunk, uh, you know, car crashes, that kind of thing. So people around me were, were, you know, dropping like flies. And I was like, you know, and I'd had some very close calls myself. Mm. And I was like, if I don't do something, I'm going to kill myself and or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went, uh, I can't say that it was an easy decision because, you know, the classic thing of, I, I have too many responsibilities, too many people that, you know, that need me this and that to go off and spend 90 days and, you know, forget about everything else. But it was actually, you know, the best thing that I have done in life. Uh, it was the first time since I was probably 14, 15 years old that I stopped to even think about myself and work on myself. Mm. Uh, the rest of my life to that point had purely been focused on making money and partying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess I'm one of the smaller subset that that treatment worked. Uh, that was 13 years ago now. I uh, haven't had a drink since then. Nice work. Uh, but I learned a lot about myself while I was in treatment. Um, got out of treatment, did like a two-year sabbatical to really try to figure out what to do, you know, with the rest of my life. Um, when I got out, my life was infinitely better, you know, not having alcohol. Uh, but what I realized was that for me, the reason I had been consuming as much alcohol as I was, as I was self-medicating and I was self-medicating for social anxiety mm. and just never really felt comfortable around groups of people yeah. or even individuals. 
unless I was, you know, intoxicated. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Um, people can relate to that. You know, I, I, I don't know. I I grew up in a very, very distant, unloving family, uh, and never really developed. I don't think those social skills Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I remember to this day, the first time I drank alcohol, it was love at first sight because I went from feeling uncomfortable in my own skin to the life of the party. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like I said, it was, you know, a long affair after that. Mm -hmm. So when I got out from treatment, um, you know, my life, like I said, was infinitely better, but I still had the same social anxiety. So I found myself uh, isolating. Uh, and I I knew that if I didn't find something to, to treat that, that eventually I would go back to drinking alcohol because I just couldn't live like that long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started trying to figure out what that what that is and I went in the market, I tried every kind of euphoric, whatever I get my hands on that's legal. I tried everything that's not legal. <laughs> and try, did, the legal did you try drugs, MDMA? I tried everything. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can't name something that I did, didn't try. <laughs> and, and it's been the wheel the, of the fortune. General theme was, yeah, the general theme was the legal stuff really didn't do anything, you know, or didn't do what I wanted it to do. Right. The illegal stuff, for the most part, did too much because mm-hmm. I was looking for something that I could do on a regular basis, and I was looking for something that you know I could go to work out, go work, work, drive a car. I didn't want to be intoxicated. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel good in my own skin mm-hmm. and be able to do the day-to-day things without destroying my body. And I couldn't find it, so. I just, I'm a, I'm a research fanatic when I get into things and I started really researching. I got into Eastern medicine. I was at this time, I was running a, a FinTech company, financial technology company in Southeast Asia. And I got into Eastern medicine and I, uh, started exploring, uh, social lubricant plants and substances that people have been using around the world for thousands of years. And I found a handful of them. So I started collecting those up uh, and, and it's, you know, you, you get into things, it's always more complicated than you think because it's like cannabis. There's hundreds of strains mm-hmm. and, you know, different ways of processing them and this and that. So yeah. I tried all of those individually, still didn't really get what I was after. <laughs> and then I decided to start trying to mix things, compound them. And I did this all for myself i wasn't doing it to commercialize it and i set up a very informal lab in the kitchen of my house and i started you know uh experimenting taking different plants different substances different percentages different strains and logging all that and i used myself as a guinea pig and kept working on it it's about a two-year process until i found the right combination that gave me the feeling that I felt, you know, when I first had alcohol, um, and in doing that, I had been started sharing it with friends and family and everyone I gave it to said, man, you need to, <laughs> you need to sell this stuff. So that's how I got into, um, consumer packaged goods on a kind of a long, strange trip. I dig it. Well, I'm going to actually come back to the botanicals. Because I think okay. that, I think that that's kind of the heart of this, but I'm curious about a few things. So, back in your your days in the oil game, it seems like you were able to kind of condense things and 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 fast track your success. Are there any yeah, principles? Are there any principles or lessons you know that that someone, perhaps an up and comer, a businessman, an entrepreneur, can can garner from you and your experience? you know, that, that, that apply universally. Yeah. It's an interesting story in itself because, you know, here I am a roughneck out on a rig and, you know, the owners and the engineers and geologists are coming out. And as opposed to just, you know, uh, hanging out with the roughnecks, I would kind of go over and spend time with the scientists, the geologists, all that, and, and listen to them. And I think 
because of who I was, they didn't think anything about saying things they probably wouldn't have said mm. if, you know, if they thought it was somebody that was, a you know, a threat to them. Mm-hmm. And I heard a couple of them mention about, because we were, we were working primarily for one company uh, and we would drill these wells and some of them were, were from what the geologists and stuff were saying were very good wells, but they would plug them. They would say that they're not any good. And I started kind of questioning that and you know, the guys would roll their eyes and this and that. But what I figured out they were doing was that they were, they were promoting these things. So they would, they would get investors in and they would drill these wells. And if, if they were good, they would, some of them, they would say they're dry and then they'd get rid of the investors and then they'd come back around and release it and open them back up again without their partners. Whoa. So <laughs> I figured out that that's the game that they were playing. And I convinced um, some friends to, and it didn't, it wasn't that much money then to put some money together. And we went around and released the, the land where I knew that the wells were good. We already had the information before they had a chance to lease it. So I beat them too. <laughs> and and that's that's how I started out. Very interesting. That's, there's, there's kind of a movie there too. That's that's a nice storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, your experience with alcohol, it gave you a lot of things. It gave you, a, it was a social lubricant for you, made you feel comfortable. Uh, Very effective. It was, it, it probably helped in a lot of social situations where you were networking and, you know, making deals and that sort of thing. And perhaps bonding, you know, I've, uh, I've had a lot of those experiences as well. What, what, what did, um, you know, a life, it, I'm kind of curious on the spiritual side of this, I guess. Um, sex, comforts, success, material abundance. How did you know, what else did, al- how did alcohol positively and negatively affect from your life? Like, how did it positively and negatively affect your life? What did it give you and what did it take from you? So it definitely, uh, I would have to say that. That question was a jumbled there, mess. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, there were many <laughs> situations where if I hadn't been doing what the the guys were doing, I would have not been able to make it to the next step 100%, of the deal yeah. or whatever, because you're just in the club, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you, and you, you run around and you do things, you know, and you're, you know, you're kind of, uh, you develop a really strong bond. It's kind of, you know, and you, you know, secrets on each other and, and all of that, you know, so it's a, it's a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, so I would definitely say that, you know, and I really, I look back and I don't regret any of my time with alcohol. Uh, both the good and the bad, uh, because it made me a much different person today than what I would have been without it. Um, but you know, what happened over time was that, um, the problem with alcohol is very effective. The problem of it is it's highly processed. It, it is easy to over medicate Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, you know, over time it takes more, and, you know, you get to that tipping point where, you know, your body is just, you know, it's a, you're taking in a lot of processed uh, sugar and, and all of that. And your body just, you know, starts having issues. Plus just, you know, you get to a point where mentally you're just so blasted, so intoxicated that you're doing things that, you know, you normally wouldn't do. You, lo- you know, you lose inhibitions way beyond what anybody would want. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I'd kind of mentioned, like, I've heard people reference the term spirits being used because they believe that if we, if we consume tremendous amounts of alcohol, it makes us more susceptible to influence from the spiritual realm. Is that something that you subscribe to? Or are you kind of like, no, dude, I was just messed up making bad decisions? I, yeah, I would say that, and I don't, you know, how to, to describe what it is, but I would say uh, it definitely opened me up to my demons mm-hmm. um you know the thing that that really you know treatment was interesting i went to a treatment center that specialized in commercial airplane pilots and doctors and i actually lived with three doctors <laughs> while, while i was there how many of these and planes I mean, have i been on and how many of these knives yeah, have it, i been under really, 
it was uh, the stories that I heard from the pilots and the doctors were very, very disturbing. So right. I, I can I imagine. Mean, very disturbing. Um, makes me really think about going into the, you know, to ever have surgery on anything. Um, or I'm always, when I walk into the plane, I'm looking in the cabin just to see, <laughs> just yeah. see what's going on. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the programs that they had, you know, the end of one-on-one treatments, the group treatments, all that stuff was great. But really for me, there was one moment that happened outside of those sessions. We were sitting one night at, at our condo and we were watching TV and the movie came on A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe. That's a good one. Uh, and um, at the end of that movie, you know, he's walking along with his arch nemesis and, and the guy goes, do you still see them? You know, his psychotic, you know, visions. And he looks over and they kind of wave back at him. And he's like, yeah, I, he looks back and he says, yeah, I still see them, but I've learned not to engage with them. And it, for some reason, it dawned on me that I'm no different than he is because I've got, I've got this voice in my head that's telling me I can do these things. Mm-hmm. You know, I can control alcohol. I can do this. I can do that. And it's not true. Mm. I mean, I've proven that a thousand times over. That's not true. <laughs> but I keep listening to what this voice is telling me, especially when I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. I really listen to what it gets louder, and I, I really, you know, just give in to it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's insanity. I mean, the definition of insanity, you know, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Right. <laughs> and and that's what I was doing for a long, long time. And I then kind of went farther in that I started thinking like, I've lived my entire life believing everything I thought and not only believing it, but acting on it. And what I, what I, it's like, what I realized was that a lot of what I'm thinking is not real. Yeah. It's not true. And it's amazing that I got to that point in life and didn't know the difference. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I see that not only in my own life, especially as I've made a conscious choice, I, I, I realized how much I value truth. And then when you really start prioritizing truth, you start realizing how much you're also lying to yourself. And we do it all the time. And 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 it comes back to a lot of different things. Sometimes it's comfort. It's more comfortable to, to believe a lie or to tell ourselves a lie or that sort of thing. But um, I guess one of my um, one of my buddies and clients, he had a similar experience with alcohol and very successful, but it just, every time he drank, you know, as it's like, as Robert Downey Jr. said, he's like, I'm allergic to alcohol. Every time I drink, I uh, break out in handcuffs. You know, it was, exactly. it would just be like yeah. blackout, <laughs> you know, like, God, what did I do last night? That sort of thing. Ended up going to AA and has continued and, you know, hasn't drank in like 25 years. And we'll, you know, we'll travel, go to Mykonos and places like that. And him and I will go out and he'll like get us, you know, a nice table and come and enjoy himself, but he doesn't drink at all. And, um, and I asked him like, what's his perspective? And he's like, I feel the draw a lot back to it. And he goes, but my perspective is I don't tell myself that I will never, ever drink again. He goes, cause that's like, it's, I don't know. It feels like too much, but almost every day I'm like, "It, it just won't be today. You know, I don't know if at some point I'll drink alcohol again, but it's not going to be today. And I'm curious, like, what's your philosophy and how do you approach that? Do you still feel the draw? How do you handle the draw and how do you solidify your um, abstinence? You know, when I first uh, got out of treatment, it was it was rough. Like I said, I what I figured out to do, and I think it was a combination of just trying to protect myself and also the social anxieties, I just. I just isolated myself. Mm-hmm. I just stayed away from any, you know, situation, temptation, whatever. Definitely wouldn't go out at night, you know, where, and, you know, and for years thereafter, if I, you know, would walk by a bar, especially like in an airport or something and hear the, the warm light, the chatter, you know, you just immediately drop back into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, you, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. And and it just, you know, it was very hard not to to give in into that. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, uh, I mean, the 
Feel Free has helped me tremendously. I mean, that relieved a tremendous amount of it. But, but truthfully, still to this day, mm-hmm. I still think about it on occasion. Yeah. I, you know, I think about, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a glass of wine? Mm-hmm. And, and what I do is I play that forward. So I'm like, this is what's going to happen if I do that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have that glass of wine and I'm going to have a good time. And then two or three days later, I'm going to be having a cocktail. And then mm-hmm. after that, I'm going to have it five or six. And then I'm going to, I'm going to, something bad's going to happen very quickly mm-hmm. because I've done that 10,000 times <laughs> and it always ended in the same place. So mm-hmm. why would it be any different now? Just because it's 13 years later, I know who I am. <laughs> And I know, you know, where it's going to end. And, and I think about it, I'm like, it's not worth it. It's not mm-hmm. the feeling that I'm going to have here for a little bit. It's not worth what's going to happen eventually. And I, I play that out. I, I think that um, what I've, one of the other things that I learned when I was just out of treatment and on my sabbatical was I had always, I, I was trying to understand why I'd made bad decisions, certain decisions in life. And I'd always prided myself on making fast decisions. I thought that was the sign that you're very intelligent. The faster you can, you know, decide something, you know, really decisive. Mm-hmm. And in studying neuroscience, what I found out was that, you know, you have the old brain and the new brain, the reptilian brain and the newer, you know, and that if you make just fast decisions, you're really just using mainly the reptilian brain, which which is two functions, fight or flight. And you're not really allowing time for the newer part of the brain, which holds the data. Unfortunately, it's a slow processor to really run through all the scenarios and 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 mm. and, and really connect all the dots of what you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're using this fight or flight only, you know, it's, you're going to make some bad decisions. <laughs> and and it, in this one book that I was in, it actually was an interesting book because it, it was a layman's kind of version. It was by an equities trader. And he was saying, he goes, if you don't believe what I'm saying, he said, I want you to do this exercise. He goes, the next four or five emails you get in, that you know are kind of confrontational or you think they are immediately fire off a response but don't send it put it to the side come back the next day and read the email again and read your response and i started doing that and what i found was that most of the time i had totally misinterpreted what that person was trying to say or the tone of what they were saying i took it as them attacking me and I yeah. immediately attacked them back even harder. And then I would redraft it with a much, much different response. And then when I sent it, it didn't escalate into something. It, it de-escalated, you know, it was, it was easily solved. And I would have turned it into something where, you know, it would have wound up, you know, turning into a fight, you know, legally or something. And I still to this day on occasion will do that because mm-hmm. it, and I found that for me, Sometimes it takes weeks for me to process something and really come to what I think is the best decision. So if it's something that, you know, is really of, of major importance, I purposely slow play it. What's what's slow play it? Just keep delaying the decision. Okay. You know, Don't take action. Don't time. take action on it. Give your brain more <laughs> yeah. time to sort it out. Yeah. Buying time. And, and it's amazing. Sometimes things happen during that period that provide insight mm-hmm. <laughs> and usually I'll come up with a much, much different idea by the end of that process than what I would have if I'd acted early. I like that. I want to share real quickly the three main reasons that so many people have horrible digestion and the subsequent downstream health consequences of a dysregulated digestive system. First, all of us have been drinking and showering in water that's loaded with chlorine and fluoride and bromide and a whole bunch of other chemicals that kill the 
healthy bacteria and other microorganisms in our gut. Number two, imagine you had to drink a cup of pesticide and herbicide, you know, glyphosate. It's now in everything and it's been in everything since the 1990s, but it goes one step further. Now you look at all of the technology that we have integrated into our lives. Now let's go back in time and imagine you're on the African savanna and all of a sudden a lion comes out of the brush. What's your body going to do? It's going to spike the stress hormone cortisol. Your adrenals in communication with your brain are going to see this lion. They're going to recognize that you are now in danger. Now, the problem is we're not on the African savanna and a lion didn't just come out of the brush, but we're doing that same thing to ourselves all the time. And it's part of the reason that so many guys can only eat one meal a day and they're having, you know, they're switching to carnivore. And if they have any carbs, their 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 digestion and their health is, is a wreck and their whole body gets inflamed. I can tell you also from experience that that doesn't go to a good place. And until we even have an idea of what is contributing to this situation, we can't fix it. And if you want help, that's what I do. I help people fix their gut and then get their body back functioning optimally. So if you want help with this stuff, you can go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, grab a time to talk with myself or someone from our team. That's biohackercoaching.com. Appreciate you guys. If you found this helpful or you know someone who's been struggling with digestive issues, please send it to them. And now back to the show. And, and I think these are, are very interesting frameworks, you know, whether whether we're talking about like the reptilian brain and, and like the, the, the newer portions of, of, of the mind or even, you know, just differentiating between the, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, the fight or flight versus rest and digest, because we're in a society right now where almost everybody is in chronic fight or flight, chronic sympathetic dominance, and so quick to pop off and react rather than to pause and then respond. And for me, the more that I engage in activities that nourish and give a little bit of time to my parasympathetic nervous system, meditation, yoga, slowing down, breath work, that sort of thing, I'm not so quick to jump down other people's throats. I still catch myself sometimes, especially on social, yeah. social media is a, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, that's where I'm like, <clears throat> my buddy and I were joking because the, the times that I find myself thinking the things I'm most embarrassed about, about our species is when I'm interacting with them on social media. It's not in person yeah. usually, yeah. you know, unless like someone drives past me wearing a mask in their car by themselves. And I'm like, ah, What's wrong with you? <laughs> but um, I, I think that all of us can benefit from nourishing our nervous system and giving our nervous system a break and slowing down um, so that we're spending more time in, in rest and digest because that's also where we heal. And it's also, you know, where, where we're able to digest, assimilate and absorb nutrients from our food and sleep and all of that stuff. You know, we can't, we can't run in the red all day. It's, it's, it's a, um, it's not sustainable. Yeah, I, I truly, what you're describing, I think is, is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, stress and anxiety are probably the biggest problem we have on a, mm -hmm. on never, a never been basis. higher, never been higher. And you know, it's a common, I think it's like the perfect storm and we're disconnected from nature. We're eating processed food. We're having information overload. We're not sleeping mm -hmm. as much. It's all of these things are combining in this soup that most of us are running around pretty damn tightly wound, pretty stressed. Mm -hmm. and, and I tell people, I said, you can, you can verify that because this test, if you talk to people 99% of the time, if you talk to them for more than about 15, 20 minutes, they will describe to you some kind of stress in their life or anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They'll start talking about their kids or the money or their health or Joe down the street or, you know, something that they'll start, you know, uh, reliving that or, or describing that. And it's, you know, it, what what's interesting is I don't think a lot of people realize that they're in that state. No. Yeah, because it it, it's become almost the default. Mm -hmm. And Survival what they're doing mode. then. 
yeah, what they're doing then is they're running around like I did with alcohol. They're self-medicating. And again, I don't think the majority of them realize they're self-medicating. They're like, I don't take prescription drugs, right? you know, mm-hmm. but the main thing they're self-medicating with is sugar. Mm-hmm. Sugar is actually a very, very effective uh, drug for medicating for anxiety and, 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 um, and stress. And usually when people get uh, off alcohol, they get on sugar. Exactly. I think, you know, I've come to believe that, that the, the bigger part of the addiction of alcohol is the sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you look at it, I was watching something last night talking about the consumption and the U.S. Is, is way above everybody else. The average consumption of sugar per year per person. And it just continues to go up. Mm-hmm. Because it's they put it in everything. Mm-hmm. They hide it, you know. They put it in potato chips. They put it. It's like you know, it's, it's like not half, really, half the ketchup bottle sugar. Ex- exactly. It, it's not about people think maybe a third sugar. Maybe a third. Sorry, I want. I just want to be accurate. Yeah, people <laughs> think sugar. They think sugar is about taste. It's not really about taste. What really makes sugar so overconsumed is the function of it, and and the. Tr- the, I think the, the proof of that is, is that almost everybody knows that sugar is bad for you in, if you overconsume it, but we're almost all overconsuming it. Mm-hmm. So that's not because of taste. You, would, you wouldn't make that trade for taste. You only make that trade if you're changing your, your mood, your state, mm-hmm. and they're doing it without even knowing that. Mm-hmm. that that's what <laughs> gets me. So I, I think where I've evolved with what we're doing is, is that what I really want to see is a replacement for at least some of the market of sugar, of something else that's natural, that's if, that's is as effective, that people can use because the stress and anxiety is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't solve that problem. <laughs> that's a that's a. I mean, we can do what you're talking about, meditation and various things and. But on a wholesale basis, that problem is not going to go away in our world. And, it, and it, I think it's just going to keep getting worse. Mm-hmm. So people need something to, to, to treat that, uh, along with all the other things you described. And I think that from what I can tell, spending time a lot of time in the Pacific Islands and looking at societies that are using different things, uh, is that kava is is that answer. Yeah. I mean, it's... It, you go to societies where kava is is primary, their primary ingredient for treating stress and anxiety and social lubrication, and they're much happier. There's less violence. There's there's hardly any health issues to speak of, and it's working. Yeah. And you, then you go to, then you go to islands that are alcohol forward or more processed food, and the people are you know they're more violence, you know, you know, louder, you know, all these other social issues and health issues. And I, I think, you know, to me, what I'm really focused on now is trying to figure out how to do that on a, on a large scale. Yeah. I, I'm actually pretty excited about what you're doing uh, for a variety of reasons. I think that, um, I know, I know it takes strength and courage because we have some Anyway, corrupt organizations that probably don't like stuff like this being available. Um, you go back to like 2017, 2018, I was in Miami with with my buddy who I mentioned earlier who doesn't drink, and we were getting ready to go out, and we went to this place called the Purple Lotus, and they've got this drink called the Komodo that's these, these two plants that you have in your drink, Kava and Kratom, and I'd never heard of it. And he's like, we're going to go have a, we're going to go have a double Komodo before we go out. And I was like, all right, you know, what's in that? And he he kind of described it to me. And the guy mixed up this little styro- white styrofoam cup with a whole bunch of plants. And we went and we, we, we slugged this thing down. And I felt like I was drinking kind of wet dirt. You know, I had it all over my teeth and everything. And I got it down and I was like, all right. And we had rented um, Divi bikes or something. And we ended up going to the bar and we got out. And I was like, man, I feel fantastic. I ended up dancing for like five hours, 
I was just, I was, I was riding a high on the stuff and I was like, what is this? You know? And I kind of went down some rabbit holes and I, I watched uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, which is a f- fantastic show where he'll look into the different pharmacology of these plants and their origin, how they're used in different parts of the world and how, how Kratom in Indonesia is used by a lot of uh, uh, physical laborers. And they'll, you know, they'll chew the leaves all day because it gives them energy, but then it also alleviates pain. And, you know, they can work for 15 hours and feel great. And then kava's used, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you settled. I mean, you tried so many different plants. So many different botanicals. How did you settle on kava and kratom and why? So um, that's a really good question. Um, kava, as I said before, in my opinion, is the safest, most effective natural plant in the world for treating stress and anxiety. I've hardly ever seen somebody that's consumed it that didn't. You know, it didn't really work for them. Uh, and I've seen thousands and thousands of people use it, uh, in, in individuals and groups that the, the problem, the problem you have is it's almost too effective. So it, um, it really chills you out, uh, especially if you drink, you know, a little bit larger quantity of it. I mean, it, it really puts you in a very quiet, still space, um, you know, again, I was looking for something that I could use, and that's great for evenings and weekends, you know, social situations. I was looking for something I could use before I go work out or during work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I needed something that had, you know, the energy side of it too. So there's, you know, only a handful of different, you know, stimulants, that, natural stimulants that you can use is you use caffeine or, you know, and Kratom is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kratom uses, instead of caffeine, it uses alkaloids. It's interesting because it's a tree in Southeast Asia. It's in the coffee family, Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't have caffeine. It has these alkaloids, Mm -hmm. and these alkaloids do the same thing as, as, you know, or or create energy, stimulation, productivity enhancement like caffeine does. Are they they like, do they block adenosine or do do you know, do they work differently? Because like caffeine kind of like parks in the adenosine receptors and then you don't know you're as tired as you actually are. How do you know how Kratom works or some of the pathway there? It, it, uh, it strikes the same receptors as like opioids do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's different though in how it does it. Like opioids, it bind and attach to them. You know, kratom strikes it and moves on, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's releasing. It's just basically making you feel better. It's, it's you know it's it's releasing those feel good you know chemicals in your body, and with that you can press through you know whatever you're doing. So it gives you focus and just kind of general productivity enhancement. Mm-hmm. So when you mix when you mix that with the kava, which is chilling, you get what I describe as chilled energy, mm-hmm. which I think is what most people really want. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't want to be intoxicated. I want to have, I want to feel good, but at the same time, I want to have energy to do something. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and when you marry those two together, that's what you get. You could also get that. Uh, we've just come out with a new version. That's a caffeine version you can get that same concept with marrying kava with caffeine. And, and we use a few other things to, to mimic the focus productivity of the, of the Kratom. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've used it. I actually just drank half a bottle while we were, while we were chatting there and um, I've used it a good amount and really enjoy it. And I have some, a number of clients, especially, so I do like brain, um, assessments on all clients. Sometimes we'll, we'll order certain neurotransmitter testing. Um, sometimes I'll just do it with, uh, questionnaires and, and, and assessments, but I can usually figure out which neurotransmitters someone is low in. And, uh, and then subsequently, which amino acids and botanicals and interventions would, would, would help them, you know, because there's, I mean, there are ways that we can increase, dopamine and norepinephrine in some cases by 1400% with, by addressing nutrient deficiencies, 
right? And the clients that have low opioids or low GABA absolutely love feel free. And in many cases where they're experiencing pain in their body or they hit that wall in the afternoon, or they've had sort of that like love alcohol, but it doesn't always love me back kind of relationship. They do very well with feel free and it allows them to create some of that space to get off of it and, you know, allow their body to become stronger and, and, and more resilient. Um, and I've I even taken, it, I, I've even taken it and gone snowboarding. I'd, I'd ripped a couple yeah. bottles and, and, and went to the local mountain here with uh, one of my friends and we both had a blast. It's interesting. You bring up about, you know, how caffeine provides energy and how, you know, Kratom does two different ways of doing mm -hmm. this kind of the same thing. You get this, the same thing, I think, between kava and alcohol. Um, they're both social lubricants. They've been used for a long, long, long time, but they do it completely different. So alcohol amplifies you, you know, with that liquid courage, all of that. It makes you louder. It lowers inhibition, you know. And you can, you can test that if you go into a bar, because the more alcohol it's consumed, the louder people get, they're trying to talk over each other. They're trying to, you know, cut each other off. There's usually, you know, if it gets far enough and a younger crowd, somebody's going to get into a fight, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very aggressive, you know, uh, atmosphere. You go into a Kava bar or go into, you know, Kava settings where people are having it socially, it's just the opposite. Mm -hmm. People are very quiet. I mean, they're having conversations. They're laughing. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're enjoying themselves, but they're not trying to talk over each other. They're, they're, what it does is I've figured out is it quietens you down. It, it kind of uh, cuts the ego. And then when you, when that happens, all of a sudden now you're opened up to, to really engaging with the people around you. So instead of, you know, you're really interested in what they have to say, you're really trying to connect with them and you're quiet enough that you can do that, that you're not trying to overwhelm them. And you have, you know, a very pleasant and enjoyable time. So it's, it's a two totally different ways of creating social lubrication, which I think I find fascinating. Yeah. There's an erosion of self-awareness that occurs with alcohol and yeah. Like you think you're an awesome dancer. And then if you were to see you know, if someone recorded on a cell phone, you'd be like, that's not, that's not what I looked like. I was there, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, 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 there's a mismatch between reality and perception. And, uh, with, you know, with Kava and Kratom, you're, 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 you're more tuned into what's actually going on and, and the, <clears throat> the, the, the true nature of the interactions that you're having, you know, your, the cause and effect relationships, were there, did you dig into like, what, where's the scientific literature at with Kava and Kratom? Are there any studies that you've found really exciting or interesting with animals? I've used both and found them both very effective. Kava has been used, especially with people that have sleep issues, you know, it can help them with sleep. And, and I think there's tremendous application here, not just in getting off of alcohol or cutting down on alcohol, but enhancing people's quality of life with botanicals where maybe, you know, they get home from work and a couple, a married couple wants to just have a little bit and connect with one another and chill out. You know, you see animals across the animal kingdom enjoying getting a little high, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like we, yeah. we do. Mammals love to get a little bit high, right? No and doubt you, about it. And, and you can get some of that in a healthier way that also isn't as toxic to your liver and, and, and doesn't necessarily shrink the gray matter in your brain and do so something. Here's, here's what I, that's a great point. Here's what I found interesting was when I did my research phase and looked at, you know, these different substances or plants that have been used for social lubrication, alcohol is an outlier. Uh, all the rest of them were used in very unprocessed forms. So they're made into teas, you know, or, or, you know, not really highly processed. Alcohol is extremely highly processed. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 uh, what's interesting to me is that most people don't really think about it that way. Like, you know, they'll sit there and tell you how wonderful their, their, 
diet is. They don't eat processed foods. They don't do this. And they have a cocktail sitting in front of them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what about that? <laughs> That's a very highly processed, full of sugar, you know, food that you've got in front of you that, you know, I, I felt I felt know. that way about the the people that were quick to participate in what what, what I lovingly call the medical experiment of 2021. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the, they're yeah, they're exactly. they're often checking labels at Whole Foods, but you know, some good propaganda, and they're like, "Sure, put it in me." You know. Anyway, yeah, side it, note. <laughs> no, no, it's you're you're dead it makes on no sense. It, it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Especially if you, you know, really understand the low level of work that was done, you know, for safety and all that. For those, it, it wasn't what way. it was called at all. That's that's conclusive. No, no, no <laughs> not at all. But I think where I've gotten to is the safest play is default to natural. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not telling. I'm not saying that natural Eastern medicine is the cure-all. It's not. There is occasions where you do need synthetics, and I'd be the first to say, you know, that that those, in certain cases, you you need that. But I don't like the idea of default to synthetic right off the bat. Mm -mm. Uh, Because I, I firmly believe the origin of synthetics has nothing to do with public safety it has to do with patents and creating moats and making money. Well, Ed, we've also and now come full back to your oil and gas story at the beginning. <laughs> I'm just messing around. <laughs> but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of petroleum in pharmaceuticals. It, uh, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt about it. I just like to throw in jokes and conspiracies. Our audience <laughs> likes it. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I mean, I feel like this this is the future with with plant based medicine and that sort of thing. And and there are enough of us of us now. There's a there's a growing army of people who are realizing that natural is the way. And tremendous healing happens when we get outside and we reconnect with the sun and we take our shoes off and we reconnect with the earth and the Schumann resonance and we put real food that hasn't been sprayed in our bodies. Where, where, where we're not destroying our gut microbiome with pesticides, you know? And, and when something is wrong, we look at what medicinal plants exist that have been used since the dawn of man for these issues, you know? It requires building a different skill set. It requires handling things differently than the rest of people who are staring at their phone or their TV all day or working jobs they hate to buy shit they don't need. It's a different path. But it is the future, I believe. And um, I, I also think that it's important for us, you know, there's there's a lot of these um, private membership associations that are coming into existence because a lot of businesses don't want to be regulated and and the people that purchase their products don't want to be regulated. And I don't know if you've looked into that and I'm, you know, I'm only mentioning it because it's interesting to me. And I know a lot of companies that have kind of gone that path. You know, I've seen... I've seen some of the people that I care about a lot that were helping a lot of folks with stem cells have their business shut down um, by organizations that didn't like all the people that they were helping. I I believe that things need to be regulated, Mm -hmm. but they need to be regulated on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. What I don't like is that we don't have that today. Mm -mm. Um, and, And it, what most people don't understand, and this is, again, going down the research rabbit hole, is prior to 1992, the FDA was funded by the public, mm-hmm. like it should be. Right. In 1992, they passed the User Prescription Act because people were a lot of backlash looking for treatments for AIDS, and they wanted to speed the process up. Mm-hmm. So Congress let the genie out of the bottle by allowing the drug companies to fund the FDA directly. And I don't think it was ever meant to be a long-term thing, but what's happened is it's increased every year since then. Fast forward to today, Big Pharma now funds 62% of the budget of the FDA, Mm -hmm. which that's bad, but what's worse is is it's done on performance-based contracts. Mm -hmm. So the faster you approve my drugs, the more money you get. Mm-hmm. And what you've seen is 
and this is from public data, what used to take five years takes a year to get approved. Mm -hmm. Those drugs now are the fourth leading killer of Americans, mm -hmm. these drugs that they're approving. Even further, the last, the last nine out of the last 10 top administrators for the FDA were working for Big Pharma within six months of leaving the FDA. It's just revolving doors. They just go from one to the other to the other. So what it's turned into, it's not the FDA, it's the DA. Mm -hmm. And they're now making statements of, we really don't think you should have natural supplements. Mm -hmm. Or if you have them, you should get them through your doctor. Mm -hmm. And probably should be synthesized so they can be, you know. Patented. You know, they can be uniform and safe. Yeah. And, I mean, they're actually making these statements of, you know, we don't want you to have natural health care choice. Mm -hmm. And that to me is, is wrong. It's scary. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a concerning it's like painting behind me, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, people sometimes my, I, I truly believe that the solution to a lot of this is we need to first look at what's going on. We need a better map of the world and we can't get our map from the television and CNN. We have to be willing to see with our own eyes. We have to go to reputable news sources. And, and I try to do my best to share what I believe to be true. Our listeners know I may be wrong, but I'm never lying to them, at least. I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm always being honest. And if you look at patterns, look at what they tried to do with N-acetylcysteine. Tried to outlaw it, and then and and they're already now integrating into certain pharmaceuticals. There's there's a new medication for anxiety and depression that contains uh, methylcobalamin, N-acetylcysteine, and another ingredient. You know, um, I, but I think the more that we talk about this stuff, and the more people are aware of it, the more it actually changes the nature of whether or not it can come to fruition. We affect what is allowed to happen with our awareness and with the courage to speak up and also when relevant to say, no, we're not doing that. That's, that makes no sense. Right. Um, and you brought up something very interesting where there's, there's a book for our listeners that are interested. It's by this guy, Robert uh, Wilner, Robert E. Wilner. He's an MD and a PhD and it's called deadly deception. Um, and it's basically the proof that sex and HIV absolutely does not cause AIDS. And he goes into very well-documented and cited detail about the connection between uh, the drug AZT, which was used to treat HIV, and he shows, no, that was actually causing it. He goes, you have an entire subset of people that were poisoning themselves with certain lifestyle decisions and then being prescribed this drug, often on a trial basis, that then further created immunodeficiency syndrome and the whole thing was manipulated. And then you have AIDS that was able to be used to usher in a variety of different legislation that you know you sort of touched on. So anyway, I'm not saying that's the case. Um, I don't know. It's just an interesting book that's come across my desk and I've read some of it. So. I'm only mentioning it for people to be able to go do their own digging and do their own research. I, I, I yeah. I'm not making any claims. Yeah, I don't know about that. What I do know is, is that that what I just talked about is I, I I'm a businessman, so I kind of look at things, follow the money. Mm -hmm. And when I started hearing these statements, like I just talked about, about not wanting you to have, you know, natural choice of vitamins and all that, I'm like, something's not right here. And you know, and then when I went out and connected the dots, looked at the data that's, you know, that's on their own websites, I'm like, well, no wonder, mm -hmm. you know, the, the fox is watching the hen house. The fox actually runs the hen house because mm -hmm. you know, he's paying the bills. Yep. And, you know, I don't really blame, I don't blame, I don't believe it's not like a conspiracy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just... These companies, they get to be a certain size. They don't have a soul. Right. They're strictly about making money for their shareholders and for themselves. And they're exploiting the system. It, it's the it's the system that's the problem. It's they're supposed to be the ones that are looking out for us. And they're turning it into an investment strategy. Mm -hmm. They're turning it into retirement. Yeah. Not into public service. And that's where the problem is. 
I agree. And and it's complicated too, because it's not, it's not as simple as like, oh, let's just go back to the gold standard. And like, if we did that, we'd lose probably like two thirds of people. <laughs> you know, if you, if you have three yeah. kids, probably two of them would yeah. starve. Right. So it's, 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 it's very yeah. complicated and there's a lot of nuance, but I mean, I, I absolutely love what you're doing with, with feel free. And I just, uh, I just finished a whole one. I've got, I've got my uh, Tuesday night salsa class tonight. So um, it's uh, at, at least this will help me feel like I'm doing a good job dancing and, and, and not, not torturing my female partners. Um, is there, is there something like for, you know, for our listeners who are kind of on the fence and they're wondering, um, by the way, can we get a biohacks discount code set up for, for our listeners? And yeah, the feel free. Yeah. We'll, we'll get you. We'll get you a code. That'd be great. We'll do it. We'll do a biohacks discount code for for you guys if you want to check out. Feel free. The uh, the website is uh, botanictonics.com. B o t a n i c t o n i c s dot com. And um, I, I I fully support and endorse the kava and kratom. Um, I love the drink. And like I said, I've been I've been drinking it for a while. I've had it snowboarding. I've had it hanging out and just kicking around the house. And, and, and when I don't want to, it's, it's actually sometimes nice to have one. And then I'll grab like a non-alcoholic beer and have a non-alcoholic yeah. beer and, you know, just kind of chill and read a book and sort of feels like you're having a beer, even though you're not having a beer, you know? Um, yeah. But kind of what's, what's your message to the people who maybe want to drink less alcohol or maybe just experience a little bit of social anxiety or want a little bit of uh, social lubricant in their life or, or who are the people that really respond best to feel free? I, I would say that, uh, you know, if you're looking for something that you can consume like earlier in the day, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm convinced that kava is the safest, best thing to treat anxiety, stress. If you're looking for something, you know, earlier in the day, you probably want to mix that with something, you know, to give you a little stimulation, some caffeine or something else. If you want to just in the evenings, you know, for, you know, letting your hair down, however you want to say that, kava by itself is wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it, so it depends on, you know, what you're trying to accomplish out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, and so you guys have two products now you've got, you got the feel free, which is kava and kratom mixed. And then you've got a new one that contains caffeine as well. And that's for the morning. Yeah. The new one uh, is, um, uh, it's kava also uh, with uh, kola nut mm. and uh, rhodiola and lion's mane. Oh, nice. Okay, so some adaptogens and and uh, yeah. neuro neurogenic compounds with the lion's mane. Yeah, so we that blend the lion's mane, rhodiola, and kola nut. We use that to try to mimic uh, what you know kratom, the feeling that kratom gives you. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. This is this has been a fun conversation, and. Um, Guys, if you've enjoyed it and uh, you want to support Jerry and his work, go to uh, botanictonics.com, B-O-T-A-N-I-C-T-O-N-I-C-S.com. We'll have a biohacks discount code set up for you. And um, Jerry, is there is there any place that people could stay up to date with cool things you're working on or is botanictonics.com the best place for them to do that? Yeah, it's uh, the website's best place. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on, sir. Thank you for the work that you're doing and uh, keep it up. All right. Thanks, man. Let me know if you guys have been experiencing more of any of the following than you used to. Brain fog, difficulty staying focused, fatigue, muscle weakness or changes in balance and coordination, mood fluctuations, apathy or lower motivation, sleep issues, changes in sex drive or function, or increased sensitivity to certain foods, or just more digestive stuff going on in general. Now I ask because these are all warning signs that your brain may be struggling. Any one could be an early indicator of serious things to come. And if ignored or left unchecked, especially if you're experiencing more than one, these could significantly increase your risk of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, these neurodegenerative diseases uh, that include cognitive decline. The secret to unlocking the full potential of your brain comes down to three simple steps. One, precision diagnostics. This is why in our coaching program, we use the most sophisticated brain and neurocognitive testing on the planet. You then fix the deficiencies, those hormones, 
neurotransmitters and nutrients that may be out of balance. And then you clean up the toxins, the stress, and the inflammatory microbes that may be interfering and making the whole process less efficient. I'm going to do two crazy things that I've never done before. I'm offering a 100% money back guarantee, meaning if you follow the prescribed game plan that you and I create together and don't experience a significant, trackable, measurable improvement in your memory, processing speed, mental clarity, mood, and quality of life, I don't want your money. I want to give you a full refund. But stick with me because I'm going to level it up even more. If your increased energy, brain health, and mental performance doesn't help you earn at least as much additional income as you invested in the program, I'm also willing to give you a full refund. I wanted to do this so that you know that you have absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain. If you want to level up, go to biohackercoaching.com. Thank you.